pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we are just so glad that you're here today. Isn't God good to us? Isn't it turning out to be a beautiful weekend? I I believe this. We have so many things that we are able to celebrate, and I want to celebrate a couple things right away. First of all, I want us to give a great big hand to our youth worship team that led worship today. Aren't they just incredible? I'm telling you, the future is very bright as we go forward. God is raising up another generation. It is good. As well, tonight is something that I get excited about. We are celebrating our volunteer. It's our volunteer appreciation banquet where we're going to have a lot of good times of just honoring our our volunteers because I've got to say this. They are the lifeblood of this church. We do not function. We can't do anything. Let's give them a hand too tonight. Now, I say this, if you're not a volunteer and you want to be, talk to one of our, our leaders, one of our ushers, one of our, and we will get you connected with people that you, you can uh, talk to, and we would love for you to find a place where you can serve and be a part of what's happening here as well. I want to say thank you for uh, a group of people that two weeks ago, uh, you guys probably didn't know this, but we hosted a pastor's conference. We had pastors from all over Western Canada that were right here in our church. And so if you look to the screen, we're going to put their names up here. And I just want to give a a shout out uh, to this group of people who just did an awesome job. If you could give them a hand as well, that would be great. Because even though maybe you weren't a part of it at this time, uh, you're still a part of it because uh, I talked to the director who ran this conference and he said, you know, this is probably one of the best conferences that we've had. The hospitality was off the chart and it was because of Eastside City Church people that were willing to love people and serve people. Well, today I want to... uh, begin my message. It's my last in the series called The Strange Exchange. And again, I like to share sometimes stories out of my childhood. And when I was a kid, um, uh, uh, I grew up in a smaller community. Anybody else like me, you grew up in a smaller town. Calgary's kind of been big city for me. And and so I grew up in a small town where we kind of had little uh, families would have their homes. They might have a half acre, an acre, a quarter acre of land. And they had, most of the time, people had animals on there. They'd have uh, they're ducks, they're sheep, cattle. I mean, you could be driving down that, and there they are. That's just how, how it was. And, 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 and so when I was a kid, we had some friends that they had about every animal, domestic animal you could imagine. They had everything everywhere. They had the, the cows, the, the ducks, they had the chickens, they had the sheep. I mean, they had even had llamas, you know, uh, or, or alpacas, if that's how you like to say it. I can speak both languages. Um, they, they, they had those as well as, you know, they had the traditional three dogs and too many feral cats to number. They were just everywhere. They had barn cats everywhere. And so we went over to their house and we did at that time what kids used to do because I grew up in the era um, for part of my childhood when you only had four channels of television. Who here remembers that when that was like, man, that was, the, it was it. I mean, I, I, I didn't quite go from the black and white to the color era, but I was right on the verge of that. And, and I remember getting in trouble because my dad, I would go to turn the channel and I would do the, you know, real quick. And they, no, you got, you're going to wear out the, the, the channel changer. You can't, you can't do it that way. And we didn't have um, 
internet and we didn't have video games. And so what did we do as kids from sun up to sundown? We went outside and we played and we got dirty. And I remember going over to my friend's um, house. And so we did what you do when you're on kind of that farming community. We played stuff like hide and seek and tag and we, we chased each other. I remember one time they were chasing me um, and we, we went from like the, the sheep pen and climbed over the fence and running, you're not going to get me. And I saw this, this opening that had no fence on it. I was like, I am home free. I was heading into the, the cattle pen and little did I know there was a wire that was going across it. And not only was it just a wire that almost decapitated me, uh, but it was an electric wire. And so I ran into this thing, and, and I can only describe that when I hit this wire, the experience was like my body both went numb and exploded all at the same time. It was 110 volts of just power just surging through my body, and I didn't quite know what hit me. It was kind of a weird and strange experience all at the same time. You see, today as we talk about our series, The Strange Exchange, I want to remind you of what happened 2,000 years ago, that something both powerful and strange occurred in the universe. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the power to change what was once negative came to change things that were negative into something powerful or positive. Literally, he took what was dead and brought it back to life. Who here is excited about that? You see, it was like this strange mojo or strange exchange that happened. It put the universe into a state of shock as the curse of sin and death was broken and freedom and life were restored. And so when I talk about the strange exchange, what am I talking about? Well, it was this, that he was cursed. He took on the curse so that we could be what? Blessed, so that we could receive blessing. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He was broken. His body was broken. Actually, last week. So what? So that we could be whole. So that we could be healed. So that we could be restored. A few weeks before that, I talked about he was rejected so that we would be accepted. You see, Jesus did all of these things for us and many more. And today as we close this series, I want to share something else that he did. That he took on our oppression so that we could be liberated. Or if I can say it this way, he bore our, our slavery so that we could be free. He paid for our freedom. So if you would turn with me in your Bible, I want to read to you out of Isaiah chapter 53. It's kind of been our key text that we've framed this series around. And we're going to look at verse 7 to 9 today. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. And here's what it says, starting in verse 7. It says, He, being Jesus, was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep, as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Here's the reality today of what God put in my heart. When we watch the news, we read blogs on the internet, or follow the feeds of different people on social media, 
we see big words like these thrown around very frivolously, like racism, bigotry, oppression. And they're usually directed as labels towards people that people disagree with. If they have dissenting thoughts or opinions, it's just so easy to pull out these cards and slap it down on somebody. But I want you to know today that I feel like not only is it demeaning, hurtful, and unhealthy, it devalues the real issues that people are facing both in our community and all around the world. So I say this, we need to be careful as followers of Jesus that we don't just follow the herd in their opinions and start, yeah, I see that and that's what I believe, but we need to learn how to discern real issues and have the heart of Jesus in these sensitive matters. Can I hear an amen for that? So today, as we look at what Jesus did, he took on our oppression so that we could be liberated or set free. Let us be mindful of what controls our thoughts and our actions towards other people. Now, I believe this. Oppression is way more than a label. It's way more than a label. It is a spirit that seeks to restrict and control people and diminish their value. Have you ever felt like a person or a situation was trying to control you? Have you ever been around somebody that's really manipulative? They, they, they seem to, no matter what you say, they've got their agenda, their idea. You see, if you're experiencing that in a relationship, it might be because there's a, an oppressive spirit that is coming out of their life towards you. Secondly, have you ever felt like you're unable to freely share your opinions and ideas when you're maybe with a group of people like that? If you speak or you speak something that, that, that maybe is contrary to what they believe, you're going to be at best maybe just ignored, but more likely ridiculed or told, called a name or something like that. You see, that is how oppression works. Or maybe... You have, have you ever struggled to overcome feelings of, of just thoughts that are dark or difficult or maybe you're even battling with an addiction or some sort of sin area in your life that you can't get over? That is oppression working itself out in our lives. You see, if you have or might have been experiencing any of these things and more, you might be battling with oppression. Now, what is really oppression? How do we describe it? The Webster's definition is this, a prolonged cruel or unjust treatment or control over somebody's life. I define it like this, that it is a strong force that attempts to push people down. It's like a weight that just tries to keep pushing somebody down from experiencing who God's called them to be or what he wants them to have. You see, oppression tries to take away freedom and uses a spirit of control to get you to do what it, what it wants you to do. Now, I, I'm, again, growing up, uh, I used to love to go to the playground, and there's a piece of equipment that you don't see anymore, maybe because it's, like, really dangerous. Um, it was called the merry-go-round. Who remembers the merry-go-round? I mean, that, that, wasn't that, like, one of the greatest things ever? But how many have friends, or maybe you did, you broke your arm on the merry-go-round? or that, that was just kind of part of the rite of passage of life, because of course you'd start off, and it was just a nice, gentle circle, and of course you'd be like, 
come on, we've got to get this thing going faster. And so first you'd get your friends going, and they'd get, oh, it's feeling pretty good. Then you'd be like, can you get your dad or somebody? And then all of a sudden it'd be going so fast that you were holding on for dear life because the force was literally trying to throw you off of this thing. And it was both exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. What fun we had. I mean, you don't know fun today. You see that force, that G-force, that force, that's what I'm talking about, whether it can be from the outside of what people say or think about you or inside of yourself, what you maybe even think about yourself. We can experience these things. You see, there are many places that oppression manifests itself. How about in a government? We see that in government, many times there are self-serving Leaders who try to oppress people through huge taxation and limited freedoms. They can try to reduce our ability to spiritually express our worship and those things. You see, those are oppressive societies. Now, some of you might be going like, yeah, I know what's going on in Canada. I'm feeling that right now, Pastor Todd. I'm telling you, there's probably some people that are in this congregation that have grown up in other countries and other societies where they've experienced, like, full-on oppression. Like, if you disagree with the leader, you might die. You know, that, that, that's, that's really oppressive. Like, if you say something contrary, I mean that. There's, this is happening still in the world today. There are regimes out there that are oppressive. We can also feel oppression in society, like what are the acceptable things to do or say, and it is that that you see there's public acceptance or discrimination of people groups over others, like certain groups are being championed. Do we see that in society? Like if you're part of this group, it's like, oh man, we, 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 we cater to you, we lift you up. But if you're part of another group, we don't really want to hear what you have to say. In fact, we just prefer that you maybe even cease to exist. That would be all right with us. And so you get that stuff going on in society. You see, to be accepted or promoted by a mainstream society, you must adhere to public opinion. You see, those are things where we can face oppression within our own realms. How about we can be oppressed by people? You know, certain relationships, I I talked about it earlier, where manipulation or even abuse is used for control. I want to say this today. I've got to just pause here for a minute. That It's in my heart that if you today, and I especially speak to the ladies, but it could be men that are here, if you're in a relationship where it's abusive, And when I say abusive, I mean physically, verbally, sexually, whatever it is. Uh, I just want to let you know that we're praying for you. You don't need to stay in that relationship. God doesn't want you just to take that abuse. That is not what he has designed for your life today. And if you need help, I want to encourage you to come and talk to some of our leaders here because we want to help you because God has greater things. He can maybe, he might change the situation, but we got to give him the opportunity to do that. You don't have to stay there. Can I hear an amen for that today? You see, when we talk about people, it could be being placed in a work environment, and I've heard people that have experienced this, especially those of you that maybe have come from other nations that go to work, that sometimes employers expect more out of you than they do other people. And they expect you to work longer hours without extra benefits. You see, that, if it's not careful, can become 
oppressive. Or maybe you're a lady in the workplace and you're, you're around a lot of men and if the, the boss isn't on his game or maybe he contributes to it and they're, they're talking about inappropriate things or doing that. So if you see, that can create oppression in our lives. But then we also have oppressed, we can be oppressed by our thoughts. You see, outward oppression can lead to inward depression where we struggle with our thoughts maybe towards people. People have said things to us and you, you just kind of can't let go of it. Or maybe it's just stuff that's in your head and, and you, you maybe have hard, a hard time even accepting yourself. You see, I believe this, that we, if you've ever struggled to let go of a negative idea, have you, have you ever had that where you just had something that, that happened to you or somebody said something and maybe a week before it wouldn't bother you, but all of a sudden now you just can't let go of it. You get up in the morning and it's, it's like staring you in in the face and you, you, you try to not think about it. I'm telling you, these are oppression things that can imp- impact our life. And they rob our joy. They steal our peace. They rob us from the good things that God has for us. And I'm here to tell you today that I'm believing for you that God doesn't want you to live like that or walk like that. That there's freedom in Jesus Christ. That Jesus paid a price for all of those things. The key is we got to learn how to give him all of those things. And then there's the, we can be oppressed by the enemy. You see, there's a real spiritual world out there that is controlled by a devil that hates you, that wants to destroy you. The fact it says in John 10.10 10, that his job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. And, and, and when I talk about this spirit, you see, it even goes beyond maybe some of our thoughts, even though it can be on our thoughts, that sometimes even we experience, I don't know if you've ever been there, like you, you walk into a place and you just feel heaviness. You just feel like, oh, this is not a good environment. Oh my goodness, that store I was in, something was wrong. Or you get around a person and you can just feel that, that darkness that comes on. That's the enemy at work. That is a spirit of oppression. Or maybe you've been having a, a, a really good week and all of a sudden you get up one day and, and it's like everything goes haywire. Everything just starts to come against you. People are yelling at you. You're getting in a fight with your spouse or your kids and, and the car just breaks down for some unknown reason. I'm not saying it always is like this, but it could be an oppressive spirit that's coming against you. But I'm here to declare today that Jesus broke that spirit out of our lives, that he's given us a place for freedom, that he loves us, that he cares about us, that his desire for us is that we don't have to walk through that, or we don't have to walk um, with that, that we can give it to him and he can break it in our lives. And I want you to know that God's given you the ability to take authority over these things in your life. I want to encourage you here today. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, he understood oppression. We've got to look at when Jesus was alive. What, what, what was the world like? What was, what, where, where was he at? Well, you have to understand, Jesus was born a Jew, into a Jewish family. He was a Jew. His nation, Israel, was under tyrannical rule from the Roman Empire. They were completely controlled by the Romans. They couldn't do even some of their own religious practices unless the Romans approved of it. How did they control them? They put incredibly heavy taxation on them. 
the burdens were enormous of what they had to pay as tribute and taxes and all of those things to honor Caesar. You see, it was so oppressive that even Caesar, if you, have to, if you look at Roman culture, Caesar was revered as a god. They had to acknowledge him publicly as a god. It was, a very, it was in defiance to their faith and their beliefs. And then when you look at the Roman soldiers, well, Roman soldiers hated Jewish people. And they were mean to them. They would hit them and harm them. They would take from them. In fact, one of the things that, uh, I'll, I'll share a story that Jesus had here, that Roman soldiers could demand from any non-citizen that they carry their belongings for one mile. Whatever they needed, it didn't matter what you were doing, it didn't matter what was going on in your world, you had to take their belongings for one mile. And this is where we hear the term, have you ever heard it, go the extra mile? Because Jesus, when he was teaching people about forgiveness and loving their enemies, one of the things he said is, he goes, if, if you're asked to take your belongings one mile, what did he say to you? Take it two, take it another mile. You see, that's where the term going the extra mile comes from. But it came out of an oppressive regime. Now, not only were the Romans hard on the people, the religious leaders of their own nation had developed a system of regulations and traditions that went far beyond the biblical law. And the biblical law was hard enough to do all by itself. It was an impossible task, but they added more things to it. And justice in their culture was reserved for either those who had higher education, public office, or means. Slavery was prevalent in all ancient cultures, and first century Judaism was not any different. For those who were farmers, shepherds, tax collectors, and the like, they were deemed as less valuable. These were people that you weren't supposed to hang out with. You, they, they were sinners because, you know, farmers I had to take care of the animals and the sheep. They couldn't honor the true Sabbath laws the way that everybody else did. And so they were looked down upon. And if you had any type of disease like leprosy or you were blind or you were struggling with things, well, you were even completely ostracized from the community because as I shared last week, they looked at it as there was something that you did, sin that was in your life or sin that your parents committed. And so it was very oppressive. And then I thought about the women. The women in that culture were little, they were just made to keep house and have babies. And you really were only lifted up and valued if you had male children. We see things that we talk about, but this was the current reality of their life. And so Jesus lived through that. He looked upon that. And here, here's what I say. It was a time where compassion was in short su- supply. So here's the great saying. Jesus observed the injustice around him, and not only did it trouble him, it motivated him to action. You see, he healed the sick. He delivered those who were controlled or oppressed by mental illness and spiritual darkness. We see it in the Bible. He gave hope to the marginalized. Look, he was not afraid to hang out with any group of people. He especially gravitated towards towards sinners, which blew the minds of everybody else in his society. And here's the thing. Even though he did not remove people from physical slavery, you see, that's what the Jewish people were hoping for that their Messiah would come and remove the yoke of slavery that the Romans had put on them. They would be a a free and prosperous people. But that's not why Jesus came. He came not to remove physical slavery, 
but to remove them from the slavery to their sin, to their own selfish will and their desires. You see, that's why Jesus came, and that is still why he came today, so that we wouldn't live under the oppression of sin in our lives. You see, God wants you to be free today. He wants you to experience the full measure of life and goodness that he has for you. Hallelujah. But not only did he observe oppression, he experienced it firsthand. You see, the Bible says he was oppressed and treated harshly, or he was unjustly condemned. Listen to this. I want to say this to you today. For anybody that has experienced injustice, anybody that has been put down because of your race, your age, your gender, for anything that you've experienced, people that have taken advantage of you, Jesus took all of the anger that has ever been in the world, all of the oppression, and he took it upon himself when he died on the cross. He felt the pain of every single thing that you have experienced in your life. He did it for what had had happened and what was going to happen. He paid the price for it so that now you and I could be free. He experienced injustice for our benefit, and he was taken advantage of for our crimes. He suffered so that even in the midst of our own pain at the hands of others, we can experience freedom. And what do I mean by that? I'm here to tell you today that when I said that Jesus is here to give you freedom, what God really wants for all of our lives is that regardless of whatever we're experiencing in our lives, we can still walk in the freedom and the peace that he gives us. You see, I cannot promise you today that, that, that everything's going to be better in your marriage or your relationships. I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. I can't tell you today that you're not going to go out on the street and somebody's going to maybe say something to you or do something. But what I can tell you is that when Jesus gets a hold of our life, regardless of what people try to put on us, we can still walk freely and with his grace and his goodness over our lives. You see, I had a crazy experience this week. Have, I, I don't know as a parent. I, I, I'm one of those people that you can, I do fairly well if you mistreat me. But when you mistreat one of my kids, who here knows that takes it up to a whole nother level. You know, I, I, okay, you, you want to you make fun of me or you want to do something for me. And, and here's what was incredible. One of my kids was totally misrepresented and I felt like they were treated very unfairly. And I remember I was just kind of stewing on this, and God was saying, hey, Todd, you gotta, don't, don't let this thing get a hold of your heart. you got to let go of it. You, gotta, you can't hold on to bitterness. And what was really funny is that, that it was uh, towards my, one of my kids that when they went through it, they had a couple hours where they were really upset, and then they came out, listen to this, they came out and said to me, they go, Dad, um, I don't like what happened. It really hurt me. But you know what? I, I just want you to know that I believe that God's, hand is still on my life. That God still has a plan for me. Dad, I want to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I know that he does everything for a reason. I pray that God's will would be done in my life. And if this is his will, Dad, I'm going to be okay. And I want, listen to this, I want you to be okay. You see, Jesus not only wants us to experience freedom, but he also has called us to liberate others. 
You see, I'm going to shift this today because we're going to pray as we come to the close of this because I believe God wants to touch people's lives. But I believe that the Holy Spirit talked to me this week and he said, Todd, it's not only because of what I want to do for, the, for each one of you, but I want to use each one of you to help liberate others. You see, in Zacharias, a, a book of the Bible near the back of the Old Testament that we don't look at too often, in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, here's what it says. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. I mean, we could just stop right there. That, that would be an awesome message that we could talk about. But then it goes on to say, don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Whoa. Man, that's powerful. God's saying, look, judge fairly. Show mercy and kindness to each other. Don't oppress people. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking to us as the church. Don't do this and don't scheme against each other. Now, when I was a kid, I loved to scheme against my sister. You see, it was my job. I would, I, I didn't, I, I, I'd like to do things that would get her in trouble. And she did the same for me. It was a competition. It was like, who, how can we misrepresent? And God was saying right here, he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't have that in your heart. Be somebody that brings life. Judge fairly. Show mercy and kindness to one another. How do we do that? How do we help liberate other people? I'm going to give you four things today. First of all, Here's the first thing, and I, I believe that God wants us to get a hold of this, that we need to seek to lift people up. You see, if oppression is a spirit that tries to push people down, it tries to squash people, it tries to devalue people, then what do you think Jesus wants us to do? I believe he wants us to lift other people up, that we need to lift people up so that to, sh to show them who Jesus really is, how much he loves them. Well, how do we do that? You see, I believe this, that daily living has a way of beating people down. You don't have to look for negative things in the world. They just kind of, they come at us, don't they? Just sometimes in our day-to-day -day life, you see discouragement, negativity, and toxic people are everywhere. But I believe this, it's even more difficult for those who are facing oppressive realities in their life. So how do we help? How do we help? I believe this, we need to look to lift up people with our words. The things that we say. You see, an encouraging word at the right time can bring oxygen to a troubled soul. Let me ask you this day, who has ever experienced somebody giving you a text or a phone call or coming up to you at church or somebody that knows you and just saying, hey, I've been thinking about you. Here's what God showed me or here's what I want you to know. And it's just something that hit your spirit at just the perfect time that just lifted you up maybe out of a, a depression or a discouragement or difficult thoughts. You see, what would happen if that's what we made our lives about each and every day that we would be lifting up people? I think we as well, we can show kindness whenever possible. We should be people that show kindness whenever possible. It could be opening the door for somebody at the mall, letting them in. How about this, giving up your spot at the grocery store for the mom who has three children clinging to her and is desperately trying to get them home with the groceries and she's just hanging on for dear life. It could be buying a hamburger for a homeless person on the street. It's just showing kindness. 
You see, I've made it my mission to bring life wherever I go. And I think each and every day we all have that opportunity to say, God, can you help me to lift up other people? You see, as I shared with you when I was going through this day where I felt like my child had been unjustly treated, I had a, a, a massage appointment because I'd been in a car accident six weeks ago and, and my whole family had suffered some whiplash. And so we were getting massage. And I remember coming in here and I told the lady, I was like, yeah, you might feel a little extra tension today. I've kind of really having a tough day. I've been angry about some stuff. And we started talking. And she's like, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> for the next hour we proceeded to talk about Jesus. We began to talk about her search in her own life. We began to, she was asking about, how do I believe in higher powers and positive energy? And I began to share with her that I believed in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and that God had a plan for her life. And she was at the end of it said, you know what, I'm really on this journey and I've experienced some crazy things. But she goes, man, do you think I would be welcome at your church? And I said... What problem? What problem? Lift people up. Get to know people. Don't be in such a hurry. Include people from all cultures in your life. I say this, we have one of the greatest churches on the planet. I really believe that. People from all over the world are part of this congregation. I want to encourage you. Get to know people. Get to know their story. Get to hear what's gone on in their life. Encourage each other. Lift each other up. There's a lot of lonely people that come here every week. You can lift them up. Secondly, here's my second point. How do we help liberate people? We pursue righteousness. We pursue righteousness. Well, maybe you're here today and you're like, Right, that's, that's, that's a fancy church word. What, 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 you keep saying the word righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, what it really means, if I can break it down, is it's doing the right thing all the time. And there's really only one righteous person in the whole universe. His name is Jesus. Because what, here, here's what happens. Jesus does the right thing at the right time all the time. He never fails. He never misses on it. I, on the other hand, my track record is not nearly as good. I mean, you might agree with me that mine isn't or yours isn't. You see, but what God's saying to us is that we are called to pursue righteousness. And so one of the scriptures that ha has been kind of something I've been chewing on even for a few years, different angles on this, is Proverbs 11.1 1, where it says, unbalanced scales are an abomination to the Lord. Righteousness unbalanced scales. What am I talking about? Well, it was common practice in the days of Jesus for shop owners to use unbalanced scales in their business transactions. You see, they, they would take things and maybe you would say, hey, I want three pounds of this, but they'd have a scale that added an extra pound so they'd only give you two pounds of it and to get more money. Or if you were trading with them, it was very common for them to have another scale that would do the opposite. So if you're like, hey, I want a, a certain price for two pounds of this, they'd come back and say, oh, that's only a pound and a half or whatever it is. Again, these are not biblical units of measurement, but you'll understand what I'm talking about here, right? So it's, it's to, to do things that where we cheat each other or we cheat what God says. And here's the crazy thing. God didn't just say, don't do that. He didn't just say, I don't like it. He used this word that I think is pretty, pretty big, abomination. 
That's pretty heavy. It means that God just, he hates this. He despises when we do not treat each other fairly is really what this is about. When we are not fair in our evaluation and our love and the way that we look at each other, it's an abomination to him. You see, it, it also represented that the, um, the scale in our own culture still represents justice today. That's still the symbol for justice. You see, he also talked about giving a fair testimony either for or against an adversary. You, you, you see, here, here's where I can bring this home, and again, I'm going to use a sports uh, analogy. I've been um, somebody that people ask my opinion about players all the time, and a couple years ago, my son was trying out for a, a select team where, where just the best players were there, and another coach who was actually coaching this team asked me, he says, so what do you think about these three other players? What would you give me as a recommendation? Now, I knew they were in competition with my son. How easy would it be to say, yeah, not a really good hitter? Uh, or that's a, a kid as a great bat, but his character, you know, is a little bit shady. You wouldn't want him on your team. No, I had to, or I believe that it was my responsibility to give a fair assessment, even if it costs my kid a spot on the team. You see, it's doing the right thing all the time. And so how does that apply to us? Well, I believe there's a lot of times when people have hurt us or they've wounded us or we're in difficulty with them. Do we give a good report or a fair report about them or do we only focus on the negatives because of our own hurt? You see, if you do, that's an unbalanced scale because Jesus just heaps his love upon you. His balance says, I give you more good stuff. I pour out more of my goodness, my grace. And I believe that God's desire is that we do the same thing. It's also refusing to look the other way when you're capable of helping someone. You know, we get so busy and sometimes we don't want to get involved in things. And a couple years ago, I was on Glenmore Trail and they were doing road construction on it and it was kind of getting, people were getting testy and were upset, and there was a big semi-truck that had a long trailer on it, and there was a, just a cute little old lady who was driving her car, and she decided to pass the semi, not on the left-hand side, but on the shoulder to the right to get to her intersection. Well, the truck driver didn't see it, and he began to pull forward, and this is exactly what happened. His back wheel of his trailer went up the, the trunk of her car, up onto the roof, smashed it down, and dropped. And all of a sudden, I watched this guy kind of going, what happened here? And, and, and this, the lady was like, this guy hit me. And of course, the police are there. It's an old lady. Nobody's going to be like, look, it's an old lady. You can't do that, you dirty, filthy truck driver guy. You should be paying attention. And I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to give my card to him. I gave my report. And a week and a half later, I got called into a deposition to give my statement. And I shared that this guy, in my opinion, it wasn't his fault. She was passing on the wrong side. You know, a week later, he called me and he said, I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. He goes, you saved my job. They were going to fire me because of my negligence. And he said, thank you for taking the time to do that. We need to take the time to do the right thing. It's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Thirdly, how do we liberate people? We watch our words and our attitudes. 
When you don't know someone, isn't it easy just to say things about them? <laughs> that driver that cut you off, that person that you, you see on the street that maybe looks a little funny. You know, it's really easy for us to, to make opinions when we really don't know the person. We might look at their appearance, their age, their height, even their nationality, and jump to certain conclusions. You see, when we don't know someone, it's easy to make offhanded statements because there's not any real consequence. Did you see the way she dressed? My goodness, look at that outfit. Maybe you don't know that in her life that's all the clothes that she owns. You may not know that that's her best because that's what she can do. Or that maybe people from certain cultures, they're bad drivers. I'm not here to name anybody, you know, because you might be talking about me when you see how I drive. Or all young adults, they're just lazy. I got all my millennials here going, woo! But we turn around or all old people are just stuck in their ways, you know. We can all begin to form these opinions. But here's what I want you to understand, that what we speak, listen to me, forms what we believe, what we talk about, what we say about people. And you know, sometimes you'd never say it around people here, but you say it in your home, you say it in your car. We need to watch what we say because stereotypes and criticism plant the seeds for oppression. We're called to lift up, not push down. Lastly, I'm gonna invite Margot to come up here. I hope this is encouraging you and challenging you at the same time today. Our fourth thing that I believe we're called to do to help bring liberation, to liberate people, is we're called to pray and participate. Every one of us can do something. You just have to decide that you're willing to do something. You see, all around us are people who need help. Some live in countries like Haiti. Mark and Lisa are doing a great job. They got a children's village down there that's sell, that, that is taking children that were meant for slavery and for, for people were abusing and they've given them a new home. There's orphanages in India. Even the Philippines, Wilner and Leonora are doing a great job of establishing feeding programs and schools and places like that just to give kids a chance to move up, to lift them out of their poverty and have a chance to experience what God has for their life. But there's also people who live in our communities and neighborhoods, some that even live next door and across the street that are under oppression. Some that sit next to us in our cubicles at work that you maybe don't even know, but they're, you know that nobody ever talks to them or hangs out with them. You don't know what's going through their heart and their mind and I believe God's design for us is for us to reach out to them. You see, oppression has many faces. And I believe God's design for us is that we would pray for situations every day. We would pray that God would reveal to us who we can reach out to and that we'd be willing to do it. You see, I believe we should get involved where we can. I want to encourage you that one of the things, and I'm going to talk to you about this from a different angle, is that I believe everybody needs a small group. They need people in their life. I know that in the church, some people are like, well, I, I don't really need anything, but what if it's not about you? What if it's that you're there because somebody else needs you? What if your presence is what helps that other person overcome some difficulty in their life? What if you're sharing your life together with them helps them grow? Because ultimately, when we walk together in relationship and family in the church, 
It's to benefit all of us, not just some of us. We've got a great ministry in our church called Celebrate Recovery. Now, a lot of people hear that word and they're like, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol. And Well, you know what? It's so much bigger than that. It's, it's for anything that you have a struggle in your life. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you have an eating issue that you, you, you guilt eat or you stress eat, whatever it is. Or maybe you're a person that, that you realize that you struggle with just your thoughts and how you think about people. You're critical. I'm here to tell you that God wants to provide freedom for you. And if you're doing really good, I want to encourage you that maybe you come and you serve in one of these ministries and give of your time to help see other people gain that freedom. I want to encourage you that Sue, Andrews, and her team, they're just doing a great job. Let's just give them a hand right now. For the last year as well, we've been partnering with the Mustard Seed. And if you come here in our early service, you'll many times see 20, 30 men and women that are coming here. Some of them are now even a part of our congregation. They're serving in this church. They're, they're doing things. And it's because we believe that God wants to break off the oppression, the stigmas of poverty and homelessness. And again, maybe this is something that God stirs your heart to help with. Right now, we need some more van drivers that have class four licenses that can go pick them up. Our, our van actually two weeks ago, I'm sad to say this, uh, somebody broke into it and stole our battery and cut our gas line. So it's getting repaired right now. Maybe God will lead you to maybe give something to help us with that repair because it's in our heart to, to reach out and people are asking for us to come and help them. It's just, are we willing and are we able? God loves you today. I love what it says in James chapter 128. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. God has a heart for people, especially those who are going through difficulty. I want you to know here today, if you are in a place in your life where you're struggling with things, maybe you're in a controlling relationship. I'm here to pray for you today. We're here to believe that God can touch you. Maybe today you're, 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 you're feeling harassed in your thoughts. You're struggling with getting rid of negative ideas. Or maybe some of you are even feeling like you want to harm yourself or do something. I'm here to tell you, God has greater plans for your life. He has greater things for you. And all he's asking each of us to do is to give those things to him, to acknowledge them. Maybe you've faced or you're facing some injustice in your life. I'm here to tell you that God is here to help you, that Jesus loves you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if any of those things that I...